how it lights my path, how it guides my way. So we are looking at Matthew chapter 6 today from verse 19 to 34. Matthew 6, verse 19 to 34. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your hearts will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is that darkness? No one can serve two masters. For either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to one. And despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. Therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds, the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet, I tell you, Even Solomon, in all his glory, was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore, do not be anxious, saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things. And your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow. For tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. This is God's word. Amen. Big, a big amen from Isla. Let's, let's pray for Ian. God, thank you so much for our brother Ian and for his service to you and to us as a body, Lord. Thank you for the time he's taken to listen to you and to prepare and, and hear what you would have him say to us. So Holy Spirit, come upon him now and yeah, give him utterance and clarity as he shares. And Lord, we pray for us that, Lord, we would have ears, eyes, heart um, open 
to hear from you. In Jesus' name, amen. It's good, good to be with you this morning. Um, as you know, my, no, we've entitled this series for our summer uh, August mornings to be a people of, in brackets, little, question mark, faith. And we're looking at some times when Jesus said, you of little faith, but looking to the Lord to help us understand more what it means to be a people of faith. Uh, last week, David spoke to us about the time when Jesus went across the lake in the boat with his disciples, and when the storm blew up and uh, the disciples were terrified and they had to wake Jesus up because he was asleep. And he said, oh, you have little faith at that point. And here we are looking at um, something in the Sermon on the Mount where Jesus says, you have little faith. What is he speaking to us about? Well, I was thinking about this phrase, little faith, uh, and I was wondering, well, we can't just um, kind of uh, restrict it to kind of a smallness. Um, it's not as though we have a kind of a faith tank within us that kind of gets filled up or depleted. And kind of at the level we're at, we kind of do things. Uh, um, the Lord doesn't say to us, because you're at a quarter full tank um, of faith, uh, you can only pray for um, the Lord's provision for up to 100 pounds. And when you pray for healing, you can only do mild headaches and ingrowing toenails. So I don't think we should just restrict ourselves uh, to looking at faith as kind of the amount that we have. And does that kind of affect it? Maybe it does. And we talk about, oh, I don't quite have that faith, or he was full of faith. But I think that helps us in the, in the larger picture to add to the, 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 the wonderful um, uh, way that we can understand faith. But I don't think we should restrict ourselves to, oh, do I have a little bit of faith or do I have a large faith? Because Jesus never talks about a little faith and a big faith. He always talks about a little faith and faith. So, but we're just beginning to explore what it, what it means. Um, but I was just kind of thinking, what does it mean by little faith? But I don't think we should restrain ourselves to the, uh, to the size. Because although I wasn't with you on uh, Wednesday night, and I'm sorry about that, I understood you looked at the phrase that Jesus spoke of, if you have faith like a mustard seed, which is a very small thing. And you can say to this mulberry tree, be uprooted. So it's perhaps, you know, we don't just look at faith in the amount uh, um, because even if we have small things, we can do good things and great things as the Lord leads us. I'm just wondering whether another way that we can look at it is where we put our faith. Perhaps that's uh, perhaps the overall um, kind of message of this morning, uh, where we put our faith. Um, in David's um, preach last week, we say we looked at the time when the storm was blowing up across the lake and the, the, the disciples in the boat, most of whom were fishermen, kind of really saw the signs of a, a really big storm, a, a storm that would cause them trouble. And so they became terrified. Uh, and quite frankly, I don't blame them. I don't think I wanted to, would want to be in that kind of situation in a small fishing boat on Lake Galilee when the, when the storm blew up. Um, but remember that Jesus said, let us go to the other side of the lake to his disciples when they got in the boat. So they, uh, perhaps they didn't have that faith in what Jesus said, 
Uh, in fact, and in Luke, he records Jesus as saying, where is your faith? So perhaps we should be looking at also where our faith is. But how many times, I'm sure we can share uh, more uh, with each other about the times when we've seen God work in situations when we think naturally they shouldn't have been like that. They shouldn't work out like that, where God has intervened in our lives, in other people's lives, um, and has changed things for good. When I started uh, working, um, my aunt got me a holiday job when I was at school and college, working for uh, a Bible publishers. And I used to work out uh, with their warehouse every summer. Uh, and when I finished uh, college, um, I didn't know what to do, but they kindly offered me a job uh, at there. It was a, a, an organization called Scripture Gift Mission. And the whole uh, um, uh, ethos of Scripture Gift Mission was to make available God's Word in many, many languages. And they published in thousands of languages, from the larger languages of Spanish and French and Portuguese, down to the little languages spoken by tribes somewhere in the, uh, you know, back, the back of beyond. And often we, we work with translators, like the Wycliffe Bible translators, those who devoted their time of, of understanding the language and living with the people and then beginning to write out the Bible in their language so they could read it. And I uh, was part of that, uh, helping to distribute God's word around the world and to see lives transformed as people share Jesus uh, with those in their, in, their, um, uh, in their village or their town or through their church or through outreach or whatever they were doing. They could give God's word in, in the person's language and they would be able to read it. Um, but how that organization operated was that they never asked for money. They only asked to pray for God's word as it went out. Um, I think it was that they had a, a month's reserve in their bank account. They, that they would, if no money came in at all, they would be able to clear the debts that they had and pay their staff a month's money. And that was it. And often, when we came to a prayer meeting, we prayed twice a day, uh, in the mornings as we gathered at nine o'clock, and then just uh, after lunch, we had a shorter prayer meeting together. And occasionally, the production manager would come in and say, well, you know, it's a Wednesday, and uh, we've just got a bill from our printers, and it's 30,000 pounds, and the accountants told me that we haven't got that 30,000 pounds in the bank. So let's pray for the Lord to provide. And we prayed. And through God's people, we saw the money come in. And we saw the work go on. Now that work started in that way in, I think it's 1885, if my memory serves me correctly. And we were almost 100 years of that time. So we saw the law provide over 100 years and, and uh, beyond that time. Uh, where um, we knew that the Lord um, would help us uh, in that task that he's given to us. And we saw God's word go out. And we'd often be in that place where we needed to pray, and where we didn't ask for money, but we, uh, we, sought, we sought the Lord, and he answered, and he was faithful. So today, you see, we're looking at Jesus, and his teaching on the Sermon on the Mount. And we've got to the time when he's... Um, Answered the, Lord, uh, answered the disciples' um, question about how we should pray. Oh, 
you know, that, how we should pray, like that. <laughs> uh, and he's uh, given us what we know as the Lord's Prayer. And then he's moving on and talking about various things. And actually, the, the given passage starts at verse uh, 25, but I wanted Alex to read um, the verses beforehand because I'd like to kind of draw on those things as we think about this question of, of faith. Now, at verse 25, uh, Jesus says, um, for this reason, isn't it? It's for this reason. Let me just read it so I've got it right. For this reason I say to you, do not be worried about your life as to what you eat or what you will drink, nor for your body as to what you will put on. Is not life more than food? Well, it's, the world doesn't think so. The world doesn't think life perhaps is more than just what we eat or what we wear or where we live or what job we have or the position that we hold or uh, the status that we have, the world tells us more and more um, that we should have all these things because this is what makes up life. And yes, there are things that make up life, but it tells us that we have more, should have more, should have better, should have bigger. And haven't you felt um, in these last years perhaps and particularly recently in these last days when you've heard things on the news particularly about the cost of living, you know, the price of energy, things going up, the pressure that that puts on that. Haven't you felt kind of the, 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 the anxiety of people rising? Maybe in your own heart you've begun to feel anxious. And we felt it when we're talking about COVID in, in the early days. Uh, uh, and um, there are things um, there that were being broadcast and told on the media that caused a creation of fear and anxiety. And it's a difficult thing to talk about, perhaps, because we do um, rely on things that we eat and have clothing, we have a need for warmth and shelter and food and sustenance and so on. But what I want to say is it's not, it's not a self-help guide that we're talking about in Jesus' words. It's not kind of how to live comfortably. It's not a kind of seven habits for an easy Christian life. Because Jesus is telling us the truth of how we as believers should live in this world with all this pressure. He's kind of drawing out a map of where our, if you like, our battles lie in life. And he's giving us a strategy as to how we should cope with uh, the enemy's uh, work and the pressures and the demands and the will of uh, the world, the flesh and the devil. He talks about treasures being in you know, the treasures and our hearts. He talks about our eyes and how we perceive things and look things and how we understand things. And he talks about this in verse 24. Uh, Alex read, you cannot serve God and money. But there are a number of translations uh, that you'll have in scriptures uh, to translate the word mammon. Uh, it, it's difficult perhaps to give it an exact definition because there's no 
dictionary definition given in those days of what this word used in the ancient Near East meant. And so Bible translators have used money or wealth um, or riches uh, or and used mammon itself, which is the word, uh, or sometimes given it a capital letter, so kind of personifying mammon. And some very adventurous translator has put gold. It's very clear. <laughs> you cannot serve money and God and gold. So there we go. Some, as I say, so some, uh, as we read the Bible and as we read some of the commentators as they talk about it, they take up these understandings and ideas that it's something that's, that's um, physical, like money and wealth. Um, it's something uh, that you can hold on to, you can accumulate, you can spend, um, something that you can put aside uh, and, and rely on where your safety and your security can be. It's interesting, I, I was listening to um, uh, Greg Bo- Boyd and he's, he had this take on what he, uh, he understood to be mammon. He said, it's whatever helps you win in this world or in this world's eyes. It's whatever helps you win in this world's eyes. So it could be the physical things, the money, the wealth, that make you rich and secure and maybe above other people. Or it could be the status that you have. You always want to go one up on people and so on. And when you accumulate those things. And also, I heard, um, and Kristen said, Kristen Forster, he said, it's earthly or worldly abilities. So very similar to what Greg was saying. The stuff that enables you to earn wealth and, and status and value and purpose and kudos. But Jesus is unequivocal. He says you cannot serve God and mammon, money, wealth, however you want to understand it. Mammon is kind of the stuff of the world, isn't it? But it is subtle in its opposition because it sets itself up to satisfy and feed on, well, the core of who we are and our needs. We have many needs as humans. We have needs for food, as Jesus points out, and for clothing, and for shelter, and for warmth things, the physical needs of our bodies. We need things that stimulate us in our minds, in our uh, understandings, that makes our brains tick, engages our intellect and our interests, our mental capacities, our creativity, things that impact our brains and our bodies and our thinking. But also we have an innate need to be valued and loved and to have things that give us a purpose and a worth. This is what um, the Apostle John writes in uh, his first letter, in chapter 2, verse 16. He says, For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, and the lust of the eyes, and the boastful pride of life, is not from the Father, but is from the world. So John identified that the world does put this pressure on it, this idea of mammon, this idea of uh, holding on to things that um, give us that safety and that security and life and often uh, give us um, that feeling that we have to accumulate more or say, or bigger or better. And that's what makes life for us. The lust of the flesh, 
he says, the need for food and, and drink and clothing, the lust for the eyes, the things that make us go, wow, or well, that's cool, or this is interesting, that makes our brains whir and tick. Uh, or also the boastful pride of life, kind of, you know, the things that give us that status and that kudos, that uh, um, thing which might lift us up uh, and think that we are better in life, perhaps, than others. I'm more important. Keeping up with the Joneses. I'm better than you. But this is not a position that is new. It goes back to the very beginning of our history as humanity. In Genesis 3, verse 6, we read, When the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes, and that the tree was desirable to make one wise, she took from its fruit and ate, and she also gave gave also to her husband with her, and he ate. So that time in our, our history, when we know it so well, those three things of the needs of our body, she saw it was good for food. And the devil stepped alongside and, and said, did God really say you shouldn't eat of the tree? You know? And so she heard the word, those words and thought, I'll eat it because it's good for food. It was a delight to her eyes. It, it caused the wow factor, engaged the brain. You know, it wasn't just the stomach, it engaged the brain. And uh, she thought, wow, this is fascinating. This is you know, wonderful. This is interesting. And then she thought, oh, it's going to make me wise. It was a decision that they would not walk with the Lord in the breeze of the evening, in the cool of the garden, but that they would then to, 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 uh, to have fellowship with him, but rather to kind of, I can decide now. I can make the rules, as it were. I can decide what's good and evil. I can, see how, I can make a way of how to live my way. And that's how we were tempted. And that's how we continually tempted. So I think that's why Jesus is so strong on that we cannot serve God and mammon. Because if we serve mammon, then we go back to the the times when we take that step away from God. uh, Either you will love one and despise the other, love one or reject the other. And it was that step that Eve and Adam took when they decided to eat because the thing was good for food. Satisfied, they thought the immediate need of something to eat, something for their bodies. It was a wow thing. It was an amazing thing. So it engaged their intellect and their mind. But it also uh, gave them what they thought was a better meaning of life. That we can rule, we can uh, make our own way. We can step away from what the Lord has given us. Looking back into those verses in in Matthew, um, the Lord says, For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Treasure could also mean valuables. The things that we put our value and our time in, our effort and our energy into, the things that we give uh, life meaning and value to us. It's not just an accumulation of stuff, uh, like our savings, maybe, of, of having a house, our stocks and shares, our government bonds, our pension, our gold bars and diamond rings. 
thinks will give us that value and status and security in life. Say, but also those things that give us purpose and meaning, our gifts and skills and abilities, the things that make us who we are, our relationships, our job. And Jesus here, when he says, for your tre- you know, where your treasure is, your heart will be also, he's kind of teaching us a kind of a psychological truth, something that's, you know, psychologists now see and identify. That when we put time and effort into screaming our lungs off, <laughs> when we put time and effort and energy in ourselves into something, we find ourselves being drawn to it. Uh, and so if we put time and energy and effort into you know, building our safety and security in the stuff that we think we ought to accumulate and uh, the, the, you know, storing up treasure, and, and the idea is a piece on piece, it's not just a whole treasure, it's a piece on piece, so we build and we build and we build. Uh, and if uh, we want to do that, he says, if, if that's what draws us, then our heart will follow. It could also happen when we put our time and energy into things that we don't like. But if we do them often enough, we'll find that our heart kind of warms towards them. Now, I think there are some of you who perhaps don't think that's about washing up. So you obviously haven't done it enough, but you have, your heart hasn't warmed towards it. But it's true. It is true. The psychological truth, the things that you, where you think your treasure is, you will follow. And that's the Lord's warning, isn't it? Where do we think our treasure is? Because we will be drawn to that. And the Lord says, don't store up treasures on earth. Because ultimately they will corrupt, they will rust, they will fall apart. Uh, or as uh, Jesus told the story of the, uh, the farmer who, had, who uh, planted his crop and the ground said, yielded so much, he couldn't put it all in his barns. So what did he do? He tore down his existing barns and built bigger ones so he had all the surplus all the surplus of his harvest that the Lord gave through the goodness of the ground. But he said, well, it's mine, and I'll put it into this big barn, and I'll live it up now because I don't have to do any more work. I've got it. And the Lord says to him, you know, your life is required of you today. In fact, he called him, you fool. This very night your soul is required of you. And now who will own what you've prepared? So is the man who stores up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. So, but what happens too? when we are drawn to these things, that we think we have that uh, security that um, in life on these things. Well, when we think that they don't give us that security, when they tell us that the price, energies, uh, the price of energy is going up and the cost of living is going up, and there's this and that that impacts us, that we become fearful, we become anxious. This is, um, in your Bibles, it will have worry, concern, but I think it's stronger than that. I think it is anxiety. It's called anxiety is fear's little brother. Um, what does it do when, what, what does it do to us when it hits us? What does it do when we become worried about things? We become worried about life? Well, don't we kind of 
close up? Don't we focus on the things that are right in front of us that we worry about? Doesn't it pull our vision down so we're looking to the immediate? And and our time and our, our energy and our effort sometimes drawn always towards these things that give us that concern, that anxiety. Sometimes we can become fixated about it. I know there are things, there are times when I've worried about things. They've always been in the front of my mind and, and, and restricted you know, my capacity to think of other things and so on. But what's Jesus' understanding? Because he understood these things, didn't he? He said, do not be anxious. So he knew that there would be anxiety for, for a worry about the stuff that we look, at, look to in life. Don't worry, he said. Don't be anxious about the food and the clothing. What happens when that anxiety comes upon us? Let's look at Jesus' words to us. And I hope we can draw um, comfort and um, understand more of where our faith should be in, our, in this life when we have that pressure upon us all the time. It's all the time. And we think, uh, um, you know, when we should be kind of thinking about uh, providing for our every need that we have. What does Jesus say? They say that anxiety that causes us to focus in on it and to look down. Well, Jesus says, look up. He looked to the birds of the air. Consider God's creation. Look around you. The Lord made this world, and it was great if you were in Revive and went to the, the Word and Worship sessions, looking at the first uh, few chapters of Genesis uh, and, and uh, the teaching that uh, Debbie and Henry gave on those chapters was, was really, really tremendous. And part of that was the, um, um, looking at the, the, the forming of creation and the filling of it. That God made this creation, made the world that we lived in, made the order of, of flowers and trees and crops and, uh, and water and rain and sunshine and made this world that provides. It's a fruitful world that the Lord has created. And he created animals and ourselves that we could live in it and know that in the surroundings that we have, the environment that the Lord has provided, we would be provided for. It is part of God's heart that he should feed us, that he should give us a shelter, that we should live in this world uh, in that understanding of the generosity and the abundance of God's heart is evident around us. So the Lord says, look up, the birds of the air, they don't work but they're fed. Look at the flowers of the field, the lilies particularly, beautiful, and you've seen some beautiful lilies. Look at them. They don't spin or sew, and yet, I mean, they have a wardrobe to die for. I mean, man, Solomon doesn't look as great in, in all his fineries, in all the wonders that he could draw, all the materials that he could draw from around, you know, the, the, the Near East to make his clothes. Even he didn't look as good as the way that the Lord dresses the lilies of the field in their beauty. So look up. If you're feeling anxious, if things are getting on top of you, if the pressures of life are coming on and you're tempted to look away, don't. Look up. Look up and see that the Lord's heart is in his creation. He made a world that does provide for us. 
What does he then go on to say? Particularly after talking about the birds of the air, which seem to be, you know, uh, he refers to sparrows a number of times, doesn't he? Which seem to be the little things, the little birds. Two for a penny, isn't it? He says, two for a penny. He says, you're much, you're worth much more than these. Take a moment to think about how much you're worth to the Lord. What's the Lord done for you? What's the Lord paid for you? That you would know him and that you would know the life that he offers, the life that you live in now, this eternal life that he's given us. It's for you, but what did it cost? What did he give for you? Was it a small thing? Paul writes in Romans, what then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who is against us? Interesting, we sang. He who did not spare his own son, he who did not spare his own son, but delivered him over for us all, how will he not also with him freely give us all things? All things. The things that we are given are pertaining to life and godliness. The way we are to live in this world. The way we are to react and respond and to act in this world, the way we are to live with one another. He's given it all, he's given us pertaining to life and to godliness. That's not in Romans, bit there. I just added that bit from another part of the Bible. It goes on. Who will bring a charge against God's elect? God is the one who justifies. Who is the one who condemns? Christ Jesus is he who died. Yes, rather who was raised who is at the right hand of God, who also intercedes for us. Who will separate us from the love of God or the love of Christ? Will tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? Just as it is written, for your sake we are being put to death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. But in all these things, we overwhelmingly conquer through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing will be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. What did Jesus pay, what did God pay for us, for our salvation? It was the Lord Jesus, as it were. He gave himself for us. As an expression of the fullness of the love that he has for us. Take a moment and think of how much the Lord loves you. What he gave to show that love and what he will
give to us out of the generosity of his heart as he continues to love us. So look up, look at the creation. God is a God of creation, of fruitfulness and supply. God is a God of love, overwhelming, overflowing love for us. We are worth much more than the sparrows who are fed. And also, he then goes on to say, look up and look toward the things that God has called us to be involved in, in this world. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. We are called to be involved in that work. He saved us, yes. He's given us eternal life, yes. He's given us the Holy Spirit, yes. So then, we are ready to get involved in the work that he has for us as his people, as his church. To declare the kingdom of God is at hand. To tell people that they can be born from above, born again, and see and enter into the kingdom. To heal the sick, to raise the dead, to cast out demons, to live in this world God's way, to have that perspective of life that we are here for a purpose, and that purpose is to, is to partner with God in this world, that we might release his kingdom into this world and to see the work of the Holy Spirit touch people's lives and situations, that they too would come in and see and understand and know the Heavenly Father who loves us and cares for us and looks after us and gives us eternal life and meaning and purpose, not just for this life, but for the life that goes on and on in his presence when he comes in his fullness again. And the Lord comes to draw us to himself and to live with us in the wonder of life on this earth, in its newness, in the heavens, and to understand the more of that life that he gives us. To be involved. So we're not just focused on that, but the Lord has called us be involved in that. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. Because he knows your needs. He understands your needs. And he's not a God who will abandon that. I say out of the generosity and the fruitfulness of creation to our individual personal needs. He understands that we need these things. And then, just to add in a thought from Paul again, when he writes in Philippians, but we should look up in prayer. And isn't it one of the ways in which we are knocked sideways when we are concerned about these things and we have these anxiety, uh, um, thoughts of anxiety and worry and concern that kind of weigh upon us? Often, doesn't prayer get pushed to one side sometimes? Well, Paul encourages us to pray because he says, be anxious for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving. It's lovely that we gave thanks together in our time this morning. With thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. What happens to that anxiety? And the peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension, the peace that Ayla experienced in a time when she could have been anxious fearful. The peace of God 
which surpasses all comprehension, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. So it is from this place, it's from this posture of prayer, this posture, this outlook of looking up, of not being weighed down, of not being burdened, of not being anxious, and being held in that place, that place that can often paralyze uh, and hold us in prison. It's the place where we look up to these things and know that in the presence of the Lord that he has our concerns in his heart and that he will provide for our needs. It's here in this place where we become rich towards God as Jesus told in the story of that farmer and that we are building up treasures not here on earth but in heaven. And it's in this place, this is the where, this is the who, where we put our faith in the Lord who loves us and cares for us. Just a personal testimony. Uh, there was a, a time when Leslie and I, uh, we, were, uh, we were living in a, a house in Sydenham, in, in Venner Road. Um, we'd moved out of our council house uh, uh, as uh, Robert was about to be born. Uh, it was a house, that, uh, sorry, it was a flat that uh, we had, would, have had, would then have three children. It was just too small, so we decided to take uh, the plunge uh, into uh, renting privately. Um, uh, and we'd had this house for three years. Uh, lovely provision, but the landlord then said, I'm sorry, but I'm going to have to sell. You're going to have to move out. Uh, and I think possibly it was a time when I wasn't working, I can't remember exactly, but I knew it would be a pressure. I knew we relied on housing benefit for, for us to actually afford to live in a, in a house like that. Uh, and yet, um, yes, this uh, kind gentleman who let, had enabled us to live in, in this house for three years and so unfortunately had to sell it. And it got to the point where Leslie and I really got anxious because there were no houses really that we could see that we could move into. Uh, and and if it was a time when I was unemployed, I don't remember. Um, then certainly we would you know, obviously have to rely on the council stumping up the money in housing benefit and, and um, job seekers. Well, it wasn't then, wasn't it? It was unemployment benefit in those days. Um, you know, we would have to look on stuff which really was minimal in resources. And we were in the house one time and, I, and, uh, and Leslie was upstairs and I was downstairs and we just had that to have the radio on. And uh, we were listening to Premier Radio, uh, and the worship song came on. And it was uh, Robin Mark, I think, singing, No, not by power. Is it? Not by might, not by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord. Was it Amy Grant who was singing it? I beg, beg her pardon. It's her rendition of that song, but it touched us both, her singing these words of scripture in a time when we were anxious about what we would do. And Leslie came down the stairs and I came out in the kitchen <laughs> and we said, we've got to go and pray. We've got to go and pray. So we scooped up Robert, who was not quite three at that time, shoved him in the back of the car and drove up to Dulwich Common. Uh, and I think he fell asleep in the car and, and we prayed. And we prayed. And we said, Lord, we don't know how we're going to do this, but we know it's not by our power or anybody else's might. It's by your spirit. And we just laid it before the Lord. We drove home, and, and that evening we got a telephone call. 
from the pastor of the church. And he said, uh, here looking for a house. Well, I know somewhere the way you can live that's available for you. Uh, and we thank God for that. And we lived in that house for another further three years. And we had to do the same thing again. Um, but trust, trusted the Lord. And he provided again uh, at a time when we didn't think we would be able to do so. Um, because we can't afford a mortgage, we can't afford that. We know we're relying on what the law provides through our income and through the goodness of people. Uh, and um, so, uh, we were worried and concerned, but the Lord led us to pray and seek his face. I believe that God does provide for our needs, both through the ordinary that's enabling us to have jobs or sources of, of income that keeps us ticking over. We should give thanks for that. He also provides miraculously, and I'm sure you'll have testimonies to share about how he's done that, when we can't see any natural way that our needs can be met. He also puts us together in a congregation where we can pray for one another and we can share what we have. And we can lend each other a, a lawnmower a ladder or leather trousers. I'm sorry, that's what I came... I was trying to be alliterative and that's all that came to mind. <laughs> I, couldn't, I couldn't think of another L. <laughs> but uh, I'm sure you can. But my poor brain had run out by then. Luggage, there he goes. This is a good thing from Shirley. Thank you. Because it was, wasn't it? It was one of the distinctive aspects of the church when it came to birth in Acts that they shared things with one another. They, so that... People's needs were met. This congregation has a pastoral fund. It's ministered by the prayer planning team. And it was great that some of us benefited by that because we were enabled to let everybody together and revive. Because we were able to provide when people couldn't provide for, their, for that need. We thought it important that families could get together with all of us at Revive. And we were able to share that so it's not Jesus' self-help plan to live a comfortable life, but it is something that our life is more than this. We live beyond this life, but within this life that we live here and now, the law will supply our needs. Amen. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, that you know our needs. Thank you, Lord, that you are the Heavenly Father who pours out his love upon us. And you've given us the Lord Jesus and all things pertaining to life and godliness. And that we enjoy, Lord, the provision of your hand. And we just want to pray, Lord, for any, Lord, who are anxious now. Lord, I pray that they will be encouraged to look up to look to you and to know that you know their needs, that you love them and that you'll provide for them. Take them out of the anxiety. Break the chains, we pray. And again, we want to thank you for all that you give us. Lord, we are so, so grateful. We love you, Lord. And we just offer ourselves to you again and help us to walk this life in this way of looking up, looking to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Let your living word
as I abide in you. Let your lead. 